and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Hey everyone, it's Ron Doyle. Just want to let you know that there's an illustrated teaser of this week's story in issue 28 of Birdie Magazine. So if you live in Denver, be sure to grab a copy while it's still on the newsstands. Special thanks to Chrissy and Johnny at Birdie Magazine for including us. A super duper special thanks to the illustrator Jackie Hay and our intern Sydney Crane for making this magic happen. Next storyteller. All right, next storyteller. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. Today's story is by actor, director, and choreographer Diana Dresser quick heads up this story is about a stalker so it could be a trigger for folks who have experienced stalker related trauma diana's story was recorded live on october 21st 2015 at bumport theater in denver colorado the theme of the evening was creeps so i um here we go i grew up in uh Right? That was a great start. Um, In a Civil War era limestone farmhouse in Kansas that was totally haunted. It was a stopover on the Underground Railroad, and it stood all alone on the top of a hill, surrounded on all sides by thick forest. In the formal front parlor, you could see the scratches on the floor where coffins were laid open for viewing, because my town didn't have a funeral parlor back in the day, so the whole affair took place in the house. When we moved in, my parents made the questionable decision of placing our piano right on top of the coffin spot, and my sister and my cousin and I had to practice piano by ourselves every night for 30 minutes, and we suffered through this horrible, terrifying, and and the second the oven timer went off, we would race out of the room as fast as we possibly could. So 20 years later, we are sitting around drinking wine, the three of us, and and I happen to say that I hated practicing piano um, because, and they both jump in immediately and say, because of the angry man who stood right behind you breathing on your neck. And we, <laughs> for reals, and we, we'd all felt him every night, um, but never told each other because talking about it would have made it real. This sort of thing happened all the time at 819 Avalon Road, so much, in fact, that we got totally used to coexisting with ghosts. And now, when I'm in an old house that lacks a spectral presence, I'm sort of judgy about it, like, what's wrong with your old house? What, why they don't like you? They totally loved me. Um, <laughs> so it was, but it was, it was in this house that I learned that humans are so much creepier than ghosts. Um, I was a really late bloomer in every sense, small for my age, super innocent, didn't get a bra till seventh grade, didn't need one until high school, um, no, and still, yeah. nevertheless, <laughs> um, the summer after eighth grade, I discovered that I had a secret admirer of sorts. Um, I started getting phone calls on the children's line. Do you guys have the children's line? Anyone else grow up prior to this, this century? Um, and, um, and there'd be silence or heavy breathing or whatever he felt like bringing to the party that night. I, I, didn't, I didn't worry too much about it because I was 14 and guys are weird at that age and I figured I was being pranked. Um, and then my mom went out to her car one night late in the, our driveway and we are like in the woods, right? And, um, and she found a note in the back of her car and she never let me read it. She told me years later that it was so disgusting. She and my dad only read it once, and then they just put it away. It was addressed to me, full of suggestions of all the stuff this guy wanted to do with me and to me, and there was a big wet spot on it, um, 
with, right? God, you guys are so far ahead of me. Thank you for that. And um, which, um, which my mom thought was melted ice cream. Um, yes. <laughs> she was from Kansas. We're from Kansas. I mean, we don't, we don't know these things. And, um, and she looked closer and it had an arrow pointing to it with the words, a sample for you to taste. And it was, it was a sample. Um, and so he calls the next day to make sure that I got his letter and his sample, which I thought was considerate of him. And um, <laughs> caller ID would have made this whole story really short, um, but this was the early 1980s and things weren't quite that advanced. So we go to the police and um, they train me to blow a whistle into the phone when he calls and they tell me to watch my back because I guess when a freaky dude changes his MO from phone calls to coming to the house, it becomes more likely that he'll try to hurt you. So I, I do watch my back, and I, I blow my whistle when he calls, and the calls taper off, and we start to feel like this whole thing is over, and we relax. A month later, um, I'm up way too late with my mom, and I'm watching TV in our kitchen, which is downstairs in our big old scary house, and um, she finally goes to sleep around 1 in the morning, and I want to keep watching my show. So my mom says goodnight, goes upstairs, and about 60 seconds later, there's a knock on the glass door. And it's really dark, um, but I can just make out a man on the other side of the door. And in a moment of stupefying insanity and naivete, I walk over to the unlocked door to answer it. Like, what? Oh, who's in my house right now? Like, what? What? Um, and he's got on a T-shirt and jeans and a ski mask. And he's holding what looks like a hose in his hand. And I'm totally confused and like, what, what is this ninja doing at my house at one in the morning and why does he want to water my lawn? <laughs> and then I realize that it's not a hose and it's, it is in fact a penis. Um, it's the first one I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he's masturbating, although I do not know what that, that word is at the time, nor what it looks like. So it takes me a while. Like, I stand there and stare. Like, just, like, stare. I'm, like, for ten full seconds, I'm just watching and, like, what? Huh? Huh? You know, fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember much. I remember feeling like I was going to throw up once I figured it out. And then I don't remember anything. I think it is so bizarre that he knocked. Um, he'd been watching me all night. He could have kept watching me, and he just waited for my mom to go upstairs, and the second she was gone, he was like, kung -kung, like it was super important for him to see me see him or something. Um, anyway, my parents tell me that I screamed. Uh, that he, I screamed, he's come for me. And, um, and my... <laughs> right? <laughs> yep, yep. I, I didn't know it was a double entendre at the time. Um, and, and, uh, and my mom hurls herself down the stairs, she grabs a butcher knife, she chases him down the hill, she loses him, because we are in the deep dark woods, right? Um, so the police don't have any leads, uh, but there's this other chick in town who's having similar stuff happen to her, and they tell us her name, and of course I know her, because we have like five people in my town, so it's like, oh, it's that girl. And, um, and she's 19, she's older, she looks exactly like me, so I guess he had a type. And we meet up, and sh she says to us that, um, that he didn't just leave notes with cum in the car. He left a mason jar full to the top of cum in the back of her car. So she was more special than I was, I think. Um, he, liked her, he liked her better, I think. I was jealous. Um, and... Uh, Anyway, we don't have, we don't think we have any people in common. He, she's, I'm 14, she's 19, she's in college, I'm a kid, you know, I'm this tall. Like, we're like, what, who do we know in common? We can't figure it out. Um, but the police are convinced of the same guy. 
So two months later, uh, my dad is changing an outdoor light bulb on a very, very tall ladder outside our house. It's late, and he's wearing what he sleeps in, which is a t-shirt and boxers. It's 8,000 degrees in Kansas in the summer. And he's wearing these amazing shoes, which are called Familares. Um, I had to bring you a visual because I can't explain them well enough. These are Familares. Um, this is 1970-something, 78-something. Okay, so Familares are not running shoes. Um, they're not shoes that, um, that anyone would want to wear when they're in a hurry. Um, and, and he's up there on this ladder, and he sees our friend, our stalker friend, show up. He's, and my dad's up way high, and the guy is crawling through the bushes behind our house. And the guy does not know my dad is up there. So um, he, the guy comes up to my living room window and he puts his nose to the window and like a cartoon, literally out of cartoon, like where like you, my dad removes his feet from the ladder and just slides down like, you know, like down the thing. Um, and he tears off after this guy just screaming and he chases him through the woods and it's really, it's, you know, it's midnight and it's dark as hell. And, and they, they run through the woods, run through the woods. He's chasing him, chasing him. He gets out. My dad finally emerges onto the street below our house and he sees the guy running around about 20 yards ahead. And my enraged father is, is charged with the kind of adrenaline that like, you know, super out of shape moms can lift their cars off children. Like he has this going on inside him. And he, he shoes be fucked. I mean, be damned. He catches the fucking guy. He catches him. He leaps on him. He flips him over. He's got, he starts smashing his head onto the pavement and he's screaming. And we're, he's like, I finally got you. I finally got you. I'm, I'm sick of your fucking bullshit. You motherfucker. I'll fucking kill you. Stop terrorizing my daughter. And this guy looks truly genuinely shocked, starts screaming back. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And my dad takes a breath and looks down and he realizes he's got the wrong guy. He is straddling a, a jogger, a jogger who was out on a, on a serene, moonlit run, um, to, only to be leapt upon uh, and beaten by an underwear-clad madman wearing Italian wedge-soled slippers. Uh, I, yeah. And, 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 and so the real guy got away again. Um, we do, the, the conclusion of this story is that we, we sort of get our guy and we don't get our guy. Um, Christy and I finally figure out that we do have one guy in common, a 19-year-old named David, whom we had both done theater with. I happened to have an opening night card that he'd written to me, and um, it looks exactly, the handwriting's exactly the same as the notes that he's been leaving. So the cops call David in, and they scare the shit out of him, and they force him to do a handwriting test. DNA testing also would have made this story really short. He did, after all, leave a jar of cum as evidence. <laughs> but again, it's 1983, so uh, handwriting test is the best he could do. They could do, and, and, and this guy fucking passes the handwriting test. Like he probably wrote with his like other hand or some shit. He passes the test, so they have to let him walk. That's it. Like this is Kansas 1980s. Like no competence at all with the cops. They're just like, sorry, we just said good luck to you, and he walked out the door. Um, <laughs> But as soon as this happened, as soon as he was called in, it stopped. It stopped forever. He never bothered me again. He never bothered her again. So we know that it was this guy. I looked him up on Facebook last night. He is, yes, yes. He is married. He has kids. Um, he has a great job at a university. Um, I, right? Uh, teaching the youth of America. I, I had an involuntary gag reflex when I saw his face. But I, this is the truth. I weirdly felt sorry for him. Um, and I was curious, I am curious, what he hoped to get out of the whole incident. Like, I was, I, you know, thought maybe he was hoping to get our attention in a positive way. Maybe 
He honestly thought, really truly, that this was a legit attempt at connecting to us with a high possibility of success. Um, he was 19. He probably hated himself. He didn't know what to do with all of his feelings, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but, uh, and, I, and I thought, you know, as I'm looking at this picture, I'm like, you know, maybe he had no idea what he was doing. He was, you know, whatever. And then I'm like, wait, he had a ski mask on. Like, you don't wear the ski mask unless you know you're doing something wrong, right? Like, you're not like, I'm going to do this awesome thing for this girl I like, but I'm going to put a ski mask on first. <laughs> um, the first penis, this is it. I promise, guys, we're done. Last page. The first penis my sister ever saw was a man who pulled over in a car jacking off while she was walking to school in fifth grade. The first penis my mother ever saw was when she was drinking at a water fountain in fourth grade in a park in my hometown and a flasher flashed her and then chased her across the park till she ran into a store. Um, uh, either we, this family, are magnets, I, I guess, for this sort of thing, or the odds suck, okay? The odds suck, okay? We are, there's only three women in my family. We all saw our first penises in this way. Um, we, we know we are the lucky ones. We know it could have been so much fucking worse. Um, we are really lucky. But it would have been nice to have our first introduction to male anatomy under gentler circumstances. Under the very best of circumstances, seeing your first penis is scary. Uh, they are really, really weird looking. Um, and having that moment thrust upon you, pardon me, uh, when... When you are nowhere near ready is less than ideal. I, I will take Freddie or Jason or the 13th floor or the pissed off piano ghost at my house on Avalon Road any day over David the creepy human. Thank you. Diana Dresser, everyone. Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our intern is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orbital. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Legal Pete's, Greater Than Records, Sexy Pizza, Sexbot Comedy, From the Hip Photo, and Breckenridge Brewery. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. And for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening.